So if you, if you are visiting with us today, I know we had a couple of hands. I just want to say again how glad we are to have you with us. And um, every Sunday we love to just share from the Bible. We love the gospel, which is the story of what Jesus has done for us. And uh, we are passionate about helping you understand what Jesus did for you. Because when he died on the cross, he, just, he didn't just die on the cross. He died on the cross for you. And there's a moment in your life when you realize that what Jesus did, he actually did it for me. And that's really the moment that changes everything. Um, and so we're passionate about sharing from the Bible, which really is the story of what God did to redeem us, to restore us, to win us back, to buy us back, and, uh, and, to, and to cause us to be in a relationship with Him. Um, and so we, we love Scripture. We love how it reveals Jesus to us. We love how it helps us trust in Jesus even more. And, and, uh, and, and, and we believe that the Bible is the Word of God. It's the truth of God. It's the story of God. Um, it's, it's the good news of God. And what it does is it just simply reveals Jesus. And so um, we've been going through the Gospel of John, which is uh, one of the, the Gospels, one of the eyewitness accounts that was written about Jesus' life. And John was this apostle. He was a, an apostle after the time of Jesus, but he was one of the disciples who Jesus chose, who walked with him and had a really intimate relationship with Jesus. Like he was close to Jesus. He, uh, he was always the one that was walking behind Jesus, staying close to Jesus, wanted to see what Jesus was going to say and, 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 and what he was going to do and kind of hear his teachings. And he really had a revelation. And many times in this gospel, we've seen how he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loves. Like, that's his identity. He's like, I'm the one. Yeah, I'm the one who Jesus loves. Like, I'm sure he loves them all, but I'm pretty convinced I'm his favorite. You know, I'm pretty convinced that, that, that I am the one whom Jesus loves. And so he gives this eyewitness account. He, he writes about Jesus because what he wants is he wants to show everybody who Jesus is. He says it in John chapter 20. He says, I've written these things so that those who read it may believe and through believing receive eternal life that he actually wants you to get who Jesus is. So we've been on this incredible journey. It's been about 20 weeks now that we've been in the Gospel of John, and all of our messages are online at soundcloud.com forward slash anchor dash Joburg. Um, and, uh, or you can just go onto our, our Facebook account. By the way, we have a Facebook and an Instagram and, and a Twitter and all those kinds of accounts. If you want to just stay up to date with what, what's happening here at Anchor, um, you can connect with us there, and we'll post the links to these messages. There's a whole playlist um, with the messages of, of, of um, the Gospel of John. Uh, we've also done the Book of Acts before and a bunch of other stuff that you can listen to to encourage you during the week. But, um, but we've been going through this, this Gospel, this, this revealing of Jesus as John writes about Jesus and as he shows us um, who Jesus is. And, uh, and it's been incredible to see how Jesus takes step after step after step after step and, uh, and, and, and says things about himself. We've looked at the I am statements of Jesus where he says, I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the bread of life. I, you know, I am the shepherd. And, and he keeps talking about who he is. I am the resurrection and the life. And, and he says all of these things preceding this moment um, that we find in Scripture where Jesus now actually, the Passover has finally arrived. And Jesus is the Passover lamb. He is the sacrifice right in the beginning, John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was that Passover lamb that came in to be the sacrifice for our sins. 
And we go into the, the last four, four chapters of the book of John. We're in there right now. We've got about four weeks left in this book. And, and, um, and what we see is we see Jesus actually being our sacrifice on our behalf. And so uh, we're in John chapter number 18 uh, today. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can just go ahead and open up at John 18 and verse 1. I'm just going to read a couple of verses together um, today and, uh, and share a message with you entitled, to stand before the Savior, to stand before the Savior. John chapter number 18 and verse 1. So John chapter number 18 and verse 1 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples. Now we saw John 17, he was praying. John 18, he goes out with his disciples across the brook of Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Jesus enters the garden. Just pause there for one moment. Just leave that scripture up there. But Jesus goes into the garden. What's so significant about this, and I'm not going to go into it too, in too much detail today, but what's so significant is that where, where man fell, where we as a humanity, uh, where sin entered our lives, was when Adam in the garden disobeyed God. And so Jesus enters the garden as the Passover lamb in order to redeem us from the curse of Adam, from the curse of sin. The Bible says through one man, Adam, one man's disobedience, death transferred to all. And through one man's obedience, through one man's sacrifice, through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, many have been made righteous. And it's all because of what Jesus did for us in the garden. Even the, the, the death of Jesus, even the crucifixion, even his tomb, even his resurrection is in the context of a garden. He was buried in the garden tomb and raised from the garden tomb. Isn't that incredible? There were two trees in the garden. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is like the tree of the law. And then there was the tree of life. And it represents the fact that it, through the law, we can try and figure out what's right and wrong for ourselves. But through the tree of life, through the cross, through Jesus, we are made righteous. And we receive eternal life. Eternal life is in Jesus. So it's so significant that here where he is about to give up his life, he enters into a garden. And it says, now Judas, in verse 2, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Jesus having procured, sorry, so Judas having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. I'm going to pray this morning and then share this message with you entitled to stand before the Savior. Um, let's just go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you so much this morning for your presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how the Spirit is revealing Jesus to us in this moment right now. And we just thank you, Father God, that we can uh, just open up our hearts to receive from you, Lord God, that we could just fix our eyes on Jesus and be encouraged in our faith and grow in our knowledge of what our Savior has done for us, Lord. Thank you that in this moment, some people can stand before the Savior and see the majesty and the glory and, and the goodness of the gospel, Lord. We thank you for that today in Jesus' name, and we give you all the glory for this moment that we have to share together in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, so, uh, 
Have you ever been ill-equipped uh, to tackle a certain situation? Like, there, there are so many different variances and so many different times when we find ourselves where we take on a certain situation or where we, where we decide to do something or we know that something needs to be done, but we know we're just, just not nearly well prepared enough to be able to take that situation on or well-equipped enough to be able to complete the task. I'm not saying that anybody here has ever done this, but if you've ever kind of stretched the truth a little bit on your CV or on your resume to be able to get a certain job, and then you were asked to do a whole bunch of stuff, and uh, you said on, on your CV that you could do pastel, but you kind of in your mind had put in brackets like pastel, color, water paint. You know, it was, had nothing to do with, with accounting. And then they say, because you were just so desperate for a job, or if you uh, kind of oversold yourself a little bit in terms of your ability. I remember one time uh, going to a tennis tournament and telling guys that I had played provincial tennis, which I, I, I hadn't, um, and then go, oh, really, really? Okay, you can play the top seed, and then uh, going and getting, yeah, just wiped. He wiped the tennis court with me, and I was like, I'm just having a bad day, man. I've got a headache. I'm not feeling well, but I totally oversold myself, um, on, on, and, and I knew what needed to be done, but I didn't have the ability, or, or, or I was inadequate in, in wanting to do that. Um, it reminded me of a time I was um, on holiday with my, with my family, and uh, we were going to go swim at, in the sea, and uh, my boy, is he loves sharks. He watches all these stories about sharks. And so when we were in the house before we went to the beach, he found a little pop rivet. And you know, uh, those tiny pop rivets, they, they actually, before you've used them, they look like a little sword. So he's like, I have this little sword. And so he took it with him. When we got to the beach, he took it out of his pocket and he says, I've got the sword. And I was like, what, you know, what are you doing with that tiny sword? And he's like, no, it's for sharks. He's going to, you know, if a shark attacks, he has this tiny sword. I mean, that's his backup plan. Um, when the when you know the seven foot great white comes along, is he has the tiny sword with him, and um, and it's just it's just a picture of inadequacy. It's just a picture of of of, of it's like trying to bring a, a a toy gun into war. It's like what what you're holding on to is is just completely inadequate uh, for the task that is in hand at hand. And here in John chapter number eighteen, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, and, uh, and he's praying with his disciples, and he is fully aware that the moment of his arrest is at hand. He'd already said it to the disciples just before this, when they were together in the upper room, when they were praying, when they were sharing the Last Supper. Uh, he said to them, I know that my hour is now at hand. It's the hour for me to go and fulfill the thing that God has called me to do. And, 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 and just before this time when Jesus is betrayed and, and when he is arrested, Jesus is actually praying. He's on his knees and, and he's experiencing the, the weight of what God, the, the, the cup of the sacrifice that God has called him uh, to fulfill. He, he feels it. He knows that he is the lamb, that it will be sacrificed for the sins of the whole world. And so he is totally aware of what faces him and what is about to uh, befall him in that moment. And Judas had betrayed Jesus. We look before at Judas, we've covered Judas, we've kind of been on a journey with Judas before through the, just the gospel, seeing how all along he was the one who was, who was either complaining, who was flying the flag of moralism, who was talking about how money was being wasted on, on serving Jesus and, and all of these things. And what we recognized about Judas is that he didn't recognize the worth of Jesus. He didn't recognize what Jesus was coming to do and, and didn't put a value in his own heart through faith on 
what Jesus was coming to do for him. And so he ends up selling Jesus out for 30 silver coins. For 30 silver coins, he sells Jesus out, which is uh, probably close to about $10,000, maybe a hundred and with a great week, the Rand has had 30,000 uh, Rand, which is a lot of money, but it's not that much money. It's not that much money to sell out the Savior of the world. And Jesus gets sold out by one of his, his, his closest disciples, one of the people that was walking with him all the way along. He gets sold out. And I want to pause here just for a moment to say that so many of us experience betrayal in our lives. So many of us are hurt by those that walked with us, hurt by those that were close to us, uh, disappointed by people who we thought had our back and, and instead they d decided to betray us. Betrayal and, and hardship and relational uh, stress is a part of living in this world, living in a fallen world and living amongst people that are imperfect. And what I love about the gospel, what I love about Jesus is that he actually experienced all of these things. We kind of sometimes think of Jesus as having this perfect life, but the Bible tells us that he was a man acquainted with grief, a man of sorrows. He was, there was nothing stately, it says in Isaiah 53, that you would look upon him. Nothing about him that would make you go, hey, I want to be like that guy. Instead, the Bible says he was one as from whom people hid their faces. He was often rejected and reviled and, and, and betrayed. And here's just one more betrayal that Jesus felt. Just one more betrayal. And, and, and what's so amazing about that is that we serve a divine, heavenly God. We know that Jesus was 100% God. But at the same time, he entered into our human context. The creator joined his creation. John starts his book by saying that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, and the Word was God, and nothing that was created was created without Him. It was all Jesus. The Word then became flesh. It's the great story of the God who loved His creation so much that He would step down from heaven and step into our human context, our broken context, into our suffering. So we don't serve a God that's devoid, that's, that's detached from, from human suffering. We serve a God that has been tempted on every point, yet was without sin. We serve a God who, who has experienced the hardships. He's felt the betrayals. He's been through the rejection. And therefore, we have a compassionate high priest. Some people don't want to go to God because they feel like their issue is too petty. Like, does God really care about the fact that my friend rejected me or that I'm not accepted in this group or, or what? Does God actually care? And the answer is yes, because he's felt it before. He knows what that feels like. We have this compassionate high priest. And Judas had, had walked with Jesus for three years. Not only had he walked with Jesus, but he had seen the power of God at work through him. He had seen um, the time when, when he was in the boat, for example, when Jesus stood up and calmed the waves and the wind and commanded them to be still, and they were. He was one of those disciples after Jesus had taken the, the five loaves and had multiplied them and fed thousands, and, and all of those disciples went and picked up, 12 disciples went and picked up 12 baskets of bread. Like when you serve Jesus, there's always more provision than what you could have imagined. One of those baskets was for Judas. He was carrying one of those baskets. He, he experienced the power of God. 
He was there when, when Jesus prayed for or, or spoke to the man at the pool of Bethesda and told him to, to rise up, to take his mat and to walk. He saw that happen. He saw Lazarus raised from the dead. He knew the power of God. And so there's something almost comical about Judas going to arrest Jesus in the garden. He knew the power of God that worked through Jesus. And so he's like, guys, trust me. They're like, it's just one guy. Can we just take two or three people? He's like, no, no, we need a lot of people. We need just like, who do you know that can come with us to arrest Jesus? Because I'm telling you, he can do some stuff that you haven't seen before. And, and we need to be equipped for this. We need to be prepared for this. And so um, he, he gathers together a band of soldiers. These police that served in the temple, um, that served the Sanhedrin, they, they, they gather around him and, and he gets some officers and he gets some priests and he gets some Pharisees and he gets a bunch of people. And, and so they're literally on this, this little um, like this search party going to look for Jesus um, in order to be able to arrest him. And, it, and it's kind of like it reminds me of my son taking that little pop rivet into the ocean because he's going to fight off a shark. Like they, they bring torches and lanterns and and swords, because they think that that's what's going to help them to arrest the Son of God. And Jesus doesn't hide away. He doesn't shy away. He doesn't go and hide in the darkness or try and, 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 and make his, his way away from that, that place, as he had done before, where he would just, oftentimes, like, everybody comes to arrest him. I love this about Scripture. It's the coolest. Jesus sometimes just does the coolest stuff. And, uh, you know, these people are gathered around, and the Bible says Jesus just walked through them, and nobody touched him. Just like if it's not his time, it's not his time. If it's not the Father's will that in that moment he be arrested, he won't be arrested. Isn't that amazing for our lives as well? Like sometimes we really, we spoke about it this morning, we worry about certain things. But the fact is if it's, if it's God's timing for your life, whatever God has prepared will take place. And if something comes against you and it's not God's will, you just walk straight through it. Just like Jesus walked straight through the mob whenever they wanted to arrest him before. But now it is the time. It's a time for, for God's plan for redemption to finally be fulfilled in Jesus. And so Jesus doesn't shy away from redeeming you. He steps forward. Here comes the mob. Here comes the swords. Here come the lanterns. Here come, here come the torches. Jesus steps forward. I know what I'm here to do. There's a place early in Scripture where, where the disciples say they want to follow Jesus, and, Jesus and, they, and they ask him where he stays, and he says, foxes have holes and, and, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere where He can rest His head. And when the Scripture says that Jesus died on the cross, it says He bowed His head and breathed His last. When it's the, the same word there that it used for He bowed His head is the same word that Jesus used when He said, there is nowhere to rest my head. In other words, Jesus rests His head in redeeming you. That's when his work is complete. That's, the only that's when his mission is done, when he has finally died on the cross and rests his head in your salvation. So he steps forward in a moment to take on the sin of the world, to be the propitiation for the sin, and not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. He steps forward in that moment. He knows that his hour has come and and that he's there to take our punishment. And he has said to the Father, Father, is there any other way? But if not, not my will, your will be done. And now he's ready to drink the cup of the wrath of God. 
to drink the judgment that was due to us. Hebrews 12, 2 has this really encouraging scripture about why Jesus went through all of that. And it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy? It was your redemption. It was seeing the people that, that had become rebels, that had run away from God, that had gone in the opposite direction. It was seeing them come home. It was seeing the hard-hearted receive uh, hearts of flesh again that beat with life and that can know God and that can, and that can connect with Him. And You see, sometimes we've made Christianity so much about following rules. What God actually wants is a heart that beats and that knows and that can experience intimacy with the Father. So for the joy that was set before Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame, which is a very nice way of saying it's like he shamed shame. And is seated at the right hand, seated because the work is done. He's seated now. He rests in the finished work and invites us to enter that finished work, enter into that rest. Jesus was reconciling us to God. That's what he was doing in that moment. The Bible tells us once and for all, he removed the handwriting of the requirements that was against us. We had overstepped the commands of God, the laws of God, the, the truth. We had lived in, in sin. And there's a, there's, there's a wage, the punishment for sin, the wages of sin is death. And so Jesus took that death upon himself the debt that we all owed to the law. And that's what it means to be redeemed. It means to be bought back at a price. He buys us back through his sacrifice. It's finally the Passover. He is the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And so as they come to arrest him, Jesus steps forward and he says, whom do you seek? Whom do you seek? We've actually seen this question before. It was about 20 weeks ago, maybe, a couple, maybe 25 weeks ago, because we've had some stuff in between, in John chapter number 1. And in verse 35, it says this. It says, the next day again, John, who, John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? Now they come to arrest him. The lamb is now finally in the garden. It's the Passover. And they ask, whom do you seek? He asks, whom do you seek? And they answer him, we're looking for Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus responds, I am he. But that phrase, I am he, is such an important phrase. And you can go look this up um, and go and research this at home. But it's literally the phrase, ego eimi which is the same thing that God said to Moses when Moses asked God, who will I say sent me? God says, Moses, I want you to go and deliver my people. I want you to go before Pharaoh. And Moses says, when I go to the, my people and they ask, who sent me, who will I say? And God says, I am sent you. Ego emi. I am sent you. 
That was where we get the name Yahweh or Jehovah from. It's the name of God. And what it means is, I am who I am. I am self-sufficient. I am eternal. I'm uncreated. I'm outside of time. I'm outside of space. I am the ultimate, omnipotent God. The one infinite God. Here's the thing, you can only have one infinite God because you can't have infinity times two no matter what your dad told you when you were a kid. (laughs) I am the infinite God. And before Jesus had said to the disciples, and I think it was in, in, in John 5 when he was arguing with some of the Pharisees, in fact, he says, before Abraham was, I am. He's mentioned before that he is God. But now they look, they come forward, they want to arrest him, and he goes, whom are you seeking? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus, he says this, I am. And something happens in that moment. In my mind, I wish I could make a movie out of it. I'll chat to Reyna, maybe we can figure something out. But, but because there's like, it's like they get a flash. In an instant, they see the glory of God. Even though they are there to arrest Jesus, even though they are there to, to take him and crucify him, even though they have come against him, in a second, in a split moment, it's like the full glory of God is revealed, even if it's just for a tiny moment in time. He reveals himself. And what is revealed is not just an earthly teacher or, or a, a great rabbi or a moral man or a good example or, or somebody who can guide you along the journey of life. What he reveals himself as is, I am. Whom are you seeking? We're looking for Jesus. I am. Right back to what John said in the very first verse, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was with God. I am. The creator. Like a flash of his deity. His glory is revealed. And, and these people that are there to arrest him with their swords and their lanterns, man, it's like that little pop rivet in the ocean. They literally draw back. Can you just imagine the scene? All Jesus said was, I am. And they draw back and fall to the ground. Incredible moment of the revealing of the glory of God. They, they realize as they're lying on the floor that in this moment they brought lanterns to capture the light of the world. They realize in that moment that they brought torches to capture the one whom John tells us about in Revelation chapter number one. Fire blazes from his eyes. They brought swords to capture the one who Revelations 19 tells us he opens his mouth and a sword proceeds from it with which he strikes the nations. They must have looked at what they brought along and thought, how silly. That we thought we could just capture the creator. That we thought we could just arrest the one who spoke all things into being. You see, there's a, there's a way of dismissing Jesus as simply being earthly, simply being a historical figure. There's a way of considering Jesus that disregards the truth of who he is, his deity, his godliness, and, and, and his power. But the great news is, is that our opinion of God does not affect God's power. What we think about him doesn't affect how powerful he actually is. 
He's sovereign in all of his ways. And so they fall down to the ground. Malachi 3. Malachi was a prophet, one of the minor prophets that spoke about Jesus. And, and listen how this prophecy about Jesus. In Malachi 3 verse 1, uh, God speaks forth about this Savior that he would send. It says, look, I am sending, Malachi 3 verse 1, I am sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking. Whom, whom do you seek? Whom are you seeking? The Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But who will be able to endure when he comes? Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears? For he will be like a blazing fire that refines metal or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, the priests, refining them like gold and silver so that they bring offerings in righteousness in the Lord. Who will stand before him in their own strength? And that's why when you see Jesus in your life, there's no other response you could possibly have but to surrender yourself to him. And those that don't or haven't surrendered themselves to him yet, the Bible says he's coming again. And when he comes, the mountains will melt like wax before him. And in that moment, people will see and realize that they had dismissed Jesus on the basis of his earthly life and hadn't recognized who he is in the heavens. So they go with their lanterns and their torches and their swords into the garden to capture the creator. So many opinions about Jesus in this day and age. So many professors and, and, and guys that think they know a lot, but know a lot about nothing. That want to make statements about who Jesus is and, and what he possibly could have been, but one day all will be revealed. Jesus wasn't arrested because he was overpowered. He was arrested because he chose to give himself up for us. That was a choice that was motivated by his own love for us. So they're all lying on the ground. And if you, if you read the scripture further, uh, they're all lying on the ground. And Jesus kind of just, then nobody's even saying anything anymore. They're like, okay, this failed. <laughs> We're not arresting him tonight. But Jesus wants to give them another chance because it's his hour. And so he says, whom are you seeking? And all they can say is, uh, Jesus of, of Nazareth? They just say the same thing. Because he knew that it was a part of God's plan for him. Peter is this kind of wild guy who so often takes matters into his own hands. And, and, and Peter actually draws a sword and uh, chops off one of the high priest's servant's ears. A servant by the name of Malchus. He chops off his ear and, and, uh, and, and, and Jesus actually touches his ear and heals him. And tells Peter to put the sword away. And then he says this in Matthew 26, 53. He says, do you 
think that I cannot appeal to my father. And he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. Like that was the, that's what Jesus had as, at his disposal if he didn't want to be arrested. If he didn't want to go to the cross, 12 legions of angels means a minimum of 72,000 angels. Each angel individually being able to wipe out that entire band of soldiers that had come against Jesus that night. It's like, I'm not being arrested because of a lack of power. I'm being arrested because I have chosen to give myself up for you. Even for the ones that were arresting him. Isn't that incredible? Isn't it incredible that at that time there were Roman soldiers and priests from the temple, that both for the Jews and for the Gentiles, Jesus gives himself up. He hands himself over completely of his own accord. He says this, John 18 verse 8, he says, I told you that I am he, because he, he asks again, whom are you seeking? They say, Jesus. He says, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go, his disciples. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. It's incredible. They've come to arrest Jesus. Now he's giving the commands. <laughs> he's telling the people who are coming to arrest him how the whole thing's going to go down. He's revealed himself. They've been on the ground. They're like, we're no match for this guy. He's like, okay, I'll go with you, but this is how it's going to work. You're going to let these men go. In his authority, he sacrifices himself and produces freedom for those who follow him. That's just such an incredible picture of the gospel, of the good news, that Jesus, in his authority, because of his omnipotence, decides to give himself as the sacrifice and he commands in that moment. It's not a suggestion. It's not, he's not asking. He commands in that moment, because I am giving myself to you, these will go free. And that's what Jesus did for us. Because he gave himself as the sacrifice, the command over our lives is that we shall be free. It's not in doubt. Your freedom is not something that you have to, to fight for. It's not something that you have to work for. Your freedom is already yours because Jesus commanded it to be so as his glory was revealed. There are some things that honestly we have not given ourselves permission to be free from even though Jesus has already commanded us free. That's where we just have to walk in faith in what God has already done for us through his son Jesus Christ. He's already made us free. He is the Lion of Judah who has offered himself as the Lamb for the slaughter. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake, God made him who, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There's the exchange. I will become sin for you so that in me you can become the righteousness of God. There's an exchange that took place, and it's such a beautiful picture 
of the gospel. It says in John 18, verse 38, right towards the end of that chapter, it says, after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, right? So just pause there for a moment and give you some quick context. What happened is Jesus is now arrested and they take him to, to Pontius Pilate to be examined, which is in accordance with what happened um, in the, the feast of the Passover, that every lamb that was being brought to the slaughter needed to be examined to make sure it had no spot and it had no blemish. And so they take Jesus, the Passover lamb, and they bring him to Pontius Pilate, and he examines Jesus. He asks him questions, and it says here in John 18, 38, after he had said this, he went back outside and said, I find no guilt in him, the spotless lamb. The lamb without spot or blemish, Jesus Christ. And so Pontius Pilate realizes this is a jealousy thing. There's something else going on here. This is a political thing. And, and, and he finds no reason for Jesus to be sacrificed or to be slaughtered or to be crucified. And so he tries to come up with a plan. And here's the plan. He says, he says this. He says, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. Every Passover. Think about that. Every Passover the, the Jewish people together could select one person that had been imprisoned by the Romans and have them set free with all charges being dropped. And so they come and they say, uh, he says that you have this custom that I release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was an insurrectionist, which means a rebel. The Bible in, in the other gospels tells us that he had committed murder in the insurrection. He was a convicted criminal. And the other gospels expound on this moment a, a little bit where it tells us that Jesus was actually chained on one side and Barabbas was brought forward on the other side. And how Pontius Pilate is desperately trying to figure out some way of getting Jesus free in this moment. And and he, so he picks a guy who everybody knows is guilty. He's, he's a murderer. He's a robber. He's a, he's a rebel. They say, okay, so here you have Jesus, whom I find no guilt in. And here you have Barabbas, who we all know is guilty. Who, who shall I set free? Quickly tell me. And they shout out, Barabbas. Barabbas. They just cry out, Barabbas. And Pontius Pilate says, why? I find no guilt in this man. And they just shout all the loud, louder, Barabbas, Barabbas, Barabbas. So he finally gives in and he says, then what shall I do with the one they call the Christ? And they respond, crucify him. And I never understood that passage of scripture. It was so frustrating to me that Barabbas, the guilty one, the criminal gets to go free while Jesus is crucified. Until I understood that I am actually Barabbas that this is actually a picture of my life, that I'm the one who is guilty, that has been convicted. If I stood before a judge, if I stood before God today in my own strength, I would be absolutely convicted as guilty and deserving of death, deserving of punishment for my sins. But because Jesus was present, because he went to the cross, I got set free like Barabbas. When I realized that, I wanted to know more about the name of Barabbas. And in, in, in the original form, it's Baraba. We've seen that word bar before, B-A-R. It means the son of. James and John, 
it was, it was Bar-Jonah. Simon Bar-Jonah was, was Peter's original name. Simon Bar-Jonah, his dad, his father was Jonah. So Bar means the son of. And we all know what Abba means. It means the father. And I realized that not only do we get set free from our sins and forgiven, but we actually become children of God. We become Baraba. Sons and daughters of God. Because of Jesus going to the cross. Because there was an exchange. It's the gospel. It's the good news. You're a child of God today, not because of how hard you've worked and how many hours you've prayed and how much good things you've done, good deeds you've done, money you've given away, people you've helped. That's not why you're a son of God. You're a son or a daughter of God because Jesus went to the cross for you. He stepped forward in that moment when his hour had come and he said, here I am. I am the one to take away the sins of the world. That's what God wants for our lives. That we would walk in and accept our identity as His children. No longer trying to claw our way into His good graces, but to understand who we are in Christ. And what His, his victory for us has accomplished on the cross. Will you recognize Him? When you stand before your Savior, will you recognize Him? As God reveals His love and His gospel and His glory, as you see that flash of grace, that flash of glory that causes you to draw back from your own strength and fall to the ground, completely surrendered to Him, will you begin to understand who Jesus truly is and what He has truly done for you on the cross? And as opposed to walking in your old identity as who you used to be and according to your struggles and according to your weaknesses and according to, to, to all of the other things that we use to define ourselves, will we begin to define ourselves according to the, the majesty of God's grace? The overwhelming power of His presence in our lives and what He has secured for us on the cross. When we see him in that way, it gives us the ability to stand before our Savior, to approach the throne of grace, to become children of God, and to walk in a relationship with him. A relationship that just grows and, and develops and unfolds as God leads us into everything that he has prepared for us. That even as Jesus had that ministry of reconciliation, reconciling that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, that God is in us as his church. And we have that same message of reconciliation. And that's why we're passionate about helping people encounter Jesus. Through the gospel, through our, our love, through our serving, in our communities, what we want is that we want people to stand before the Savior. If only for a brief moment so that they can see the fullness of His glory in the way that we all have and respond by receiving the grace and taking the exchange, becoming children of God. Amen? Isn't God good? Isn't it incredible what He has done for us? We see Jesus. We see Jesus. We see His glory. We stand before our Savior. Let's go ahead and pray together this morning.